Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sports Technology Group's Sports and Esports Podcast. On today's episode, we sit down with Inaki Gomez to talk about controversies in anti-doping and how technology can help. We hope you enjoy this episode of The Gauge. Welcome, everyone. I'm your host, Claire Robinson. Thanks for joining us. On today's episode, we welcome an Olympic race walker, lawyer, and IAAF Athletes Commission Chair, Anaki Gomez. Anaki has been at the forefront of the current anti-doping crises by fielding responses from athletes' perspective. His legal background provides him with a unique insight into the world of trust, transparency, and the need for WADA to step up its game. Welcome, Anaki. We're so happy to have you here. Thanks, Claire. Thanks for having me. Of course. Can you tell us a little bit about your background as an athlete? So, yeah, I mean, like you said, I was, uh, well, now, now I'm retired. I went to two Olympics, but I was a race walker. So I competed in the 20-kilometer race walk and did that for well over 10 years now. Um, but, yeah, I, after 2016, I kind of evaluated my life, figured what, what was next. I did think about continuing, but life must go on and I chose to uh, proceed to a legal career from there very cool very cool and for people that don't know um, race walking is I cannot run nearly as fast as you guys can race walk like I couldn't dream of running as fast as you guys walk yeah which I mean is insane I, I think to be a race walker you have to have a good sense of humor and take it lightly and, yeah. and I think that's you know my teammates and I we we we're obviously very respectful and you know we've enjoyed our, our careers but i think we do understand that it's somewhat distinct and different than you know your traditional running or regular walking and we do look funny but there are two basic rules there's the you know one foot on the ground at all time as long as the naked eye can see which is a very key important thing because there are judges on a course that will mm-hmm. judge you based off that mm-hmm. and then you know the the leg that's planted on the ground has to be straight which is the distinction between that and running running you run with a bent knee so you use your quad which has more power we use our hamstrings and other parts of the mm-hmm. body a little bit more and you're also incredibly fast we do <laughs> we do move slightly slightly faster than the average walk i mean my my my, my best time is 119.20 so that's about 358 per kilometer which is insane yeah. i remember i did a half marathon last fall and i was starting beside uh i don't remember his name evan? but he's no it wasn't evan i know okay. evan um and he was like, yeah, I'm actually a race walker. I'm going to walk this thing. I was like, okay, nice. cool. Um, and I was like, okay, so I'll, you know. You beat him. Obviously. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there was no chance, <laughs> no chance whatsoever. So it was pretty funny. Anyway, so can you talk more about how you got involved with Athletes Right Advocacy and uh, why you decided to join the IAAF Athletes Commission? Um, yeah, I mean, I've had a sort of nice trajectory towards that role. I, I started as the athlete rep with Athletics Canada, so the, the local or the national federation for track and field in Canada. And I, I did that role for two uh, four years, and that also made me uh, director of the organization, which does add a different element and, and you know, responsibility that's different than, than the most sort of advocacy roles. And I think that was sort of a big eye-opening experience for me to see how sport is run, what's lacking, what could be improved. And over time, I just got involved with other entities or other organizations. Then I made the jump to the COC Athletes Commission, which I work with um, members like, you know, Mark Pearson or Shea Smith or Rosie McLennan. And, you know, having a core group of very passionate, intelligent 
but also highly successful athletes makes a big difference to to be or be able to do these roles and you know naturally i you know athletics is my passion i i love the sport but i'm also cautious and and wary that you know the sport has faced a tremendous backlash or issues over the past year whether it's not just doping but you know corruption um that, that do need to be addressed and you know trying to balance my educational background with what i can do in sport and thinking about you know how can i be a voice of somewhat reason or check about balance in that world what could i do to get involved and for me at that time when i decided to run for first as a member of the commission in 2017 that was the initial stage was okay i'll make and join this commission and then from then on see where or what i need to do to get a little bit more involved so was elected and then my peers from that commission elected me as the chair uh, uh, last year. That's amazing. I mean, it's really inspirational because you you kind of have led these two separate lives and correct me if I'm wrong, but you've been uh, an Olympian, a two-time Olympian, and then you have a legal career as well. And then you kind of have this in the middle athlete advocacy. So you've chosen to use your background in both to take on kind of this third thing. And that's, uh, I think, super inspirational and really cool. Yeah, no, it, it is awesome. It is, it does put a strain in life. And I'm sure yeah. my <laughs> wife and my little one would appreciate a little bit more time. But, you know, it, 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 it's a great opportunity, I think. And I hope more athletes in Canada or around the world do get involved because I think we need to be at the center of decisions. And, and, you know, there are movements to push for that. Some federations are making the necessary reforms to allow that. But, but ultimately, if we're not active, but also in a professional manner, then our voice is not valued and we need to change that. Absolutely. And I mean, I think it's easy for a lot of athletes that um you know are competitive but they're they also have a career outside of athletics it's easy to get wrapped up in both of those Mm -hmm. and not really take that extra step in in athletics and and actually want to be an athlete advocate so um very cool um can you tell us kind of from an insider's perspective uh, can you talk to any of the late controversies within wada i mean (laughs) Yeah, I mean, what has been sort of the, the, the key point of conversation over what now, over two, two and a half years, mm-hmm. given the, the Russia scandal? Um, you know, from my perspective, uh, I've sort of taken a very principled approach that we have a set of rules and, and people ought to follow them. And it's really the responsibility of those individuals, whether it's an athlete or a federation, to comply with the rules. I, I don't believe that... Um, it's WADA's job to ensure that Russia complies with them, even though they do sort of play this regulatory role. Um, they set the rules. They may enforce them or they should enforce them. But really, it's, it's the, the, the entity that should comply. And, and to, the, to date, and this is the same statement I've said over time, they have not done so. And, and they continue to not do so, including as of, as of late when they missed you know, a deadline that was sort of post on them after originally moving and changing uh, the conditions. You know, there, there may be reasons for the changes that have been discussed in the media. Athletes have spoken for or against. Um, and, and, you know, there are positives and negatives to both sides. But ultimately, I think the issue is how do we maintain trust in the system if we continue to make uh, concessions to, to a, either an athlete or an entity that completely disregards the rules? So in terms, you know, that's sort of a roundabout way to explain the background. But in terms of what's the in, I mean, I'm constantly in touch with, you know, members of other athletes commissions and, 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 and we do keep 
you know, each other informed of, you know, what they're thinking, what they're wanting to propose, what they want to say. Um, I know as much as to as what's made public. Um, there may be some rumblings here and there, but really, you know, today I think was the Exco's decision to uh, adopt the CRC, so the Water um, Compliance Review Committee's uh, recommendation to just proceed as follows. So even though they've failed to comply or provide these data or the uh, analytical information uh, as, uh, by the dateline, they sort of decided, you know, Okay, well, we have the information. We'll just continue to have you as a compliant member. Mm-hmm. That's super interesting. And I like what you first said that, um, you know, there seems to be a fair bit of blame on WADA, which from if you're not really thinking of it from a deep insider's level, it seems fair, but it's not. It's not WADA's fault that they didn't comply. And, you know, they're not there to be the punisher and the police. They're there to make sure everyone is complying. Um, so do you see... Or yeah, go ahead. I'll, I'll just clarify. I mean, I, yeah. I do think Water's role is to now monitor, comply, and police. And, and the, the, the code has changed to enable that. So they've given them an, an additional mechanisms to investigate uh, and enforce. Uh, and whether we can agree or not, that was one of the reasons why they wanted to make them compliant because now they can follow on fall under the new code or the new revisions or powers that they have. Um, but you're right. It's not only, it's not really Wada's fault that this happened. It's the fault of the leadership and the lack of good governance, transparency, and good process that's happened in sport, not just WADA, throughout a number of years. And and these are the sort of the, the crying that we hear from the athletes and saying, we need to change the structures. Currently, the way politics play, into, play a role, the way you know money and, and other types of interests come into the fold, that's what's impacted and that's what's led to this issue and we just need to address that now rather than sort of pit uh, sort of patchwork work over the over the next little bit and, and and hope that it never happens again so that's more for clarity absolutely bang on um so this is a big question and if there was a simple answer then it would probably already be done but how do you see ways in which this can be improved how can you how can wada regain trust and and have certainty with with all of its members i mean that that's the issue with any time an organization faces sort of a reputational risk or damage and and i think today they've faced a tremendous amount some that may not be you know fixed uh, and may not be improved um, but really, it's it's about listening to the stakeholders, and I think there's this perception that they do, and they talk to you know political uh, or governments that are form part of the executive committee, or they talk to the athletes. Um, but the reality is, from my perspective, a lot of the consultation process is not thorough and it's not adequate or really meaningful. I, I think that's what athletes are coming out and saying, you know listen to us we think this needs to happen and they may consider it but the fact that very little of those recommendations are adopted it sort of loses face and and um again i'm not to say i'm not saying that the athletes have the answers and but there is in that gray area there is an answer that needs to be found and 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 then adopted so how they face you know how can they improve their reputation um 
I don't know. I, I, I do believe that they need to first apply and adhere to the rules that they set in place. And when they don't or they make lenience or, or compromises, that certainly won't help. But two is really listen to the athletes and listen to other stakeholders, not just the athletes, and ensure that moving forward, um, it's a process that's clear, good governance and, and really transparent. Yeah, make, makes perfect sense. So WADA kind of has a culture right now where not all members are compliant. How do you create a culture of compliance? Do you think the current culture is a result of, um, you know, members or WADA not enforcing strict enough penalties or what do you think that culture is a result of? Well, I, I mean, WADA has an unfortunate task to try to govern, you know, countries from all around the world with different cultural backgrounds and, and, you know, ideas of what's good and what's bad. Um, I don't think you can change a culture of compliance overnight. And then I think this is one of the things we see with Russia. I, I just honestly believe that their perception of what's compliant or what's ethical is very different from a lot of us. That's really interesting. Um, and and it, it's not just them. It, it could happen with other countries. Yeah. And so how do you standardize? Huh. And, you know, you have the code and you have an organization that's enforcing or monitoring that with that code. Um, but compliance comes from, you know, internal systems and internal sort of notions of what's appropriate. Um, I, I don't know if we'll ever get to a stage where, you know, equal, equal sort of approach will, will exist just mm-hmm. because of the nature of our societies being so different. Yeah. And it's almost like that culture of compliance runs way deeper than just the sport. It's like the culture of the people, the culture of the government, totally. all of that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we see that. I mean, it, that is literally some of the challenges that we're going to face. Like, yeah, OK, maybe they're structurally compliant because they're, you know, implementing new rules or Rosada is now you know, actually following the rules. Um, but how do you change the the notions that people follow, like their actual way of being? I mean, that's where most of us feel like, can we really trust the athletes or forget the athletes? Can we trust the system itself, the coaches, the leaders in that sport? Sometimes the athletes are just victims and they're just following you know, orders and rules. And you know, it's easy for us to say, well, they should just think and choose. But it's not that straightforward. And I think we need to be a little bit more open to that. Mm-hmm, for sure all of this is super interesting but we really brought you here to talk about some potential solutions to doping specifically technology solutions uh, how do you think technology as a whole can eliminate cheaters I don't know that technology itself can eliminate cheating because I think cheating is part of unfortunately is part of society right we we have people that are always going to find ways to take an edge or you know have an edge on others so whether it's through doping or manipulation or corruption um, the question is how do you have or how do you utilize technology to mitigate those risks um, you know in speaking about you know blockchain technology or other methods um, you know these are systems or, or, or that that can be used to ensure that data for example is not corrupted and I know if we look at the information or, or the issue with WADA now on um, you know they're getting all this data on past samples um, how can we be assured that that data hasn't been corrupted blockchain is an answer that data can't be corrupted because the way this the blockchain system works you know you can't just have the Russian government you know 
breaking the chain of and then ensuring that the data has been manipulated. Um, that would be a way that, you know, I've, I have spoken to your, you know, your team and Mark and um, I've mentioned it even at the WADA level and, and said, like, are you guys thinking about using some of these technologies to to ensure that going forward um, data is not manipulated? Uh, there's a trust or a system that, you know, is reputable and not just, you know, avoiding governments or other officials uh, in the background making changes. But in short answer, technology certainly has a way to uh, can provide changes to sport just like it does with other aspects of society. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think WADA is almost a perfect use case for blockchain. And mm-hmm. a lot of people, um, you know, it's not the first use case that comes to mind, but I think it would be a really effective solution should they choose to take it on. Mm-hmm. So um, hopefully we see them move forward with some sort of technology solution or something backed that, um, you know, a single stakeholder can't can't corrupt. The corrupt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> corrupt the whole system. Um that's it from us. Thank you so much for sitting down with us. We really appreciate it. We know you're a super busy guy with everything you have going on. Uh, so thanks for stopping by. Thanks for having me. And, you know, glad that we can have a conversation. If there's anything else, let me know. Will do. Where can people find you on social media? Um, I'm at Inaki Gomez G. Um, same handle at both Twitter and uh, Instagram. I'm not as active on, on Instagram, but I'm certainly active on Twitter. Perfect. Thanks, Anaki. Thank you. Next time on The Gauge, we do a deep dive into the world of competitive esports and how the structure of professional esports leagues are shifting and growing. Catch you next time.